Thank you so much for tuning in. I'm your host, Vivian, and for the first episode today, I'm so excited to have this amazing woman, Megan, with me. Um, She's a breast cancer survivor, and she actually has a blog site of her own where she talks about life after treatment, and I think that's so important because a lot of people just think after cancer is over, like it's completely over, it's out of your life, you don't have to worry about it anymore, but I, in reality, it affects every aspect of your life because I read on your site that you actually have to get scans every so often. And I also read somewhere else that a lot of people have fear of reoccurrence, like it's going to come back to them. Um, and also, at the very beginning of COVID-19, I had a friend who had actually survived cancer. He had to constantly put on hand sanitizer. He was being so cautious about like being healthy and being clean. And I just that just made me realize how much cancer still affects you after you fully recovered. And another thing I love about your website is that you don't only talk about breast cancer, you talk about a lot of stuff. I wrote about you being a pageant and that was so cool. <laughs> yeah, and your your blog is truly inspiring. So if you want to check out her website, just go to warriormagsy.com and you can read about it. Okay. I just want to start off by welcoming you one more time and thank you so much for agreeing to interview with me and I'm so excited to talk to you today because you just seem like the best person to talk to like ever. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm so excited to be here. Really nice to meet you. So the first thing I just want to talk about is what you're up to right now. Like what are you what are you doing? What are you working on right now? So I actually have a a bit on my plate. Mm -hmm. Um, I But the coolest thing I would say is I was selected to be what is called a consumer reviewer for the Department of Defense Breast Cancer Research Program. Oh, my God. No, right? Like, I didn't even know that existed. Um, But apparently, um, there is congressional funding for breast cancer research. And I am literally on a panel, one of two consumer reviewers who are not scientists and all the rest are scientists. I am literally reading like um, these abstracts for possible, you know, breast cancer treatments to help improve the quality of life for breast cancer patients. And like, I mean, my mind is just like blown. That is so cool. Right. And so I'm working on that um, right now. And, oh my goodness, um, actually I have a few more articles <laughs> to mm-hmm. write, and I was uh, published again on Pharmaform, huh. they're a website in the UK. Um, I know! <laughs> yeah, so that was about um, life after breast cancer mm-hmm. and grief, um, and it was really cool because I was already on their site back mm-hmm. in uh, September, and they were like, you said so much in your interview. We have enough to do another article. We like to do another article. I'm like, oh, yeah. <laughs> that is so cool. Like you have such a full circle because like you're going back to breast cancer and you're like helping other people who've experienced the same thing when you went past it. And it's just so cool. You know everything about it already and you're helping so many people with that. <laughs> you know, it, for me, my my journey, my path mm. has been very difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't understand what getting breast cancer, like what 
all that would entail. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like, I've been through so much, had so many side effects, you know, um, I've had friends die mm-hmm. and I'm like, I've got to do my part to keep shining a spotlight mm-hmm. on what breast cancer really means. Mm-hmm. Did you always think you're going to be doing like writing blogs and shining a light on breast cancer, like even before you recovered or was this just like a very spontaneous thing? So here's how uh, the blog started. Um, I had just finished surgery. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I actually had multiple surgeries in one day. And, <laughs> I, and I'm a talker, right? So I'm a talker. But for the first time ever, I could not talk about it. Mm-hmm. Like I, um, I was about to start radiation uh, after my surgeries. And I was like, I have to get this out. Like, Mm-hmm. I can't talk because I'm just a puddle of tears. So what do I do? So um, I've always been a writer. Like mm-hmm. I've, I have, oh gosh, now it's 26 journals. Um, yes, I, I, I've been writing in my journal since I was 12. And um, so I was like, you know, I'm just going to start a blog. I don't care if anyone else reads it. This is t- for me to heal mm-hmm. and just get this stuff out, you know? Like you can't mm-hmm. hold on to all of that strong emotion and fear and grief and so I just start writing and then it just I never thought it would take a life of its own like this but I think the reason why so many people like to read it or it's been discovered by others word of mouth is because I keep it really raw and authentic Mm -hmm, um you know like because it's me. It's, it's always me. And I never write for likes or clicks or, you know, whatever. I'm like, this, this is what I'm thinking about right now at this moment. It's going to come out (laughs) whether you read it or not, you know, it's really authentic. Like I read it and you, there was one article about rising up and how you were feeling not enough. And I just really, really felt that because I was like, oh my God, because I'm in school right now and I always just feel like I'm not doing enough. And then you, I read your thing and that just made me feel so good because at the end you were like, you are enough. And I'm like, yeah, I am enough. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> your, your articles are so inspiring. Anyways, going back to the healing things, um, during your treatment, did you have like a support system and like, how did you find one? Did you rely on your family or were there groups for you? So in the cancer world, if you are diagnosed under 40, you are considered a young adult. And so I was diagnosed a hair under 40. So y'all, I'm really old, okay? But um, it was weird to keep being called a young adult because I didn't realize actually that it's, it's rare for women, younger women to get breast cancer. Like typically it happens when you're like, you know, 65 and older, not when you're in your 30s or your 20s. And um, so I didn't really have much local support. I mean, my family definitely was there. My mother, um, she's an ovarian cancer survivor and she currently has a blood cancer, rare blood cancer now. So it was a really weird uh, bonding mom and, uh, you know, mother and daughter moment. Like, going to chemo. Um, but, uh, I didn't know anyone else my age who was going through cancer. Like every time I walked into, uh, the infusion room, I was like the youngest person in there. And I'm thinking, what, what am I doing? You know, like it was really uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So, um, 
I typed in young adult because that's what I kept, everyone kept referring to me that way. So I was like, young adult uh, cancer support. And the first one that popped up and it's still my fave um, is Lacuna Loft. And it's through, um, that's another young adult cancer support organization. And they actually have this one program. It's my very favorite called Unspoken Inc. Mm-hmm. Talk about like, finally finding a place of support to write it out. Mm-hmm. Like we get prompts, writing prompts. And I mean, it can be about whatever. You can write about mm-hmm. whatever. But a lot of us are writing about our cancer experiences. And it was cool to see other people my age. And we're, you know, from all over um, the U.S. Mm-hmm. And that was really needed for me to be around others that I didn't have to always explain (laughs) what was going on you know (laughs) yeah and yeah because you were so young was this like a very big surprise to you but you just told me like your mom also had cancer so was this like an underlying feeling or when were you diagnosed were you completely surprised were your family surprised so I always knew I would get cancer Mm -hmm. but (laughs) I thought it would be a variant or cervical cancer because um, my my nana, my mother's mother, um, she had cervical cancer and then ultimately died of lung cancer. Mm-hmm. And then my mother, when she was pregnant with me, had ovarian cancer. Oh, yeah! Like it's a miracle that both of us like actually survived. Um, uh, so, and I was already having those issues <laughs> already, and so I was being monitored and a lot of my doctors expected me to get a variant, but I thought I would be like way older. And I was like, okay, I'm good with that. Um, when I found out I had breast cancer, I was surprised mm-hmm. um, because of where it was located. I did not connect that with mm-hmm. breast because it was like on the side, almost underneath my arm, which mm-hmm. is called, um, lobes so I had stage 2a invasive lobular breast cancer and I'm like uh invasive what like (laughs) what is this um but the thing is I had a lot of weird symptoms two years before I actually felt anything oh two years two years I was fighting and advocating for myself going to the doctors and they couldn't figure out what was going on okay so let me set it up for you Mm -hmm. I used to have bone straight hair to my shoulders. You see this chia pet curly chemo (laughs) hair. Like this is how my hair grew back after chemo and it is permanent. Mine is permanent. Yeah, I never had curly hair. I did not know chemo could change your hair. It can change your hair. It can change the color of it. Um, And a lot of my friends, theirs grew in curly, but then it went back to how it was pre-cancer. Mine has never gone back. It looks good. It looks great. (laughs) thank you you know I'm trying to work with it um but my hair um pre-cancer uh started falling out on the left side and I'm like okay you're messing with my hair like we're we're gonna have some issues like what is going on and then I um I gained a bunch of weight I used to be really slim and athletic Mm -hmm. because I did a lot of uh, musical theater and I've always Mm -hmm. loved dancing so I was fit and I was like what is this weight gain (laughs) and because of the weight gain you know like just a lot of other things started to happen and then I got these tiny green bruises Mm -hmm. on my right I mean on my left leg and I'm like okay I am right-handed and right dominant Mm 
why am I getting bruises on the left side? Like, uh-huh. <laughs> so my doctors were really puzzled because they kept doing blood tests and they're like, well, obviously something is wrong. And I was like, well, yeah. Um, and then I had actually had um, a preventative mammogram um, four years before I got diagnosed because of my mother having ovarian cancer, because now we know there's a link between ovarian and breast. And it was clear. They were like, hey, come back when you're 40. I'm like, great. So no one thought these symptoms would be breast. Mm -hmm. And um, then I got a green bruise and it was in a perfectly shaped circle on the back of my left arm. And by this point, like my primary doctor was like, what is going on? Like, come back in two weeks if it's still there. She's like, I don't know what else we can do, but obviously something's wrong. And it was like two days later is when I finally felt the tumor. It was so hard. It was hard, like a fist. And it felt like the size of a fist. The sucker was huge. Um, And I was like, what is this? Uh, So I immediately called the doctor and, um, this is when you have to get pushy. Like I always want everyone to know, like it is your patient right to be pushy if need be. Like you're not hurting anyone's feelings because it's your health. And so I was like, I can't wait two weeks to see her. Something's not right. So I just kept getting pushy until I got through um, to um, the physician's assistant, which is called a PA. And she was like, okay, uh, she'll call you right back. I was like, all right. Well, when she called me back, she was like, I wrote an order for you to have a diagnostic mammogram. I'm like, oh, wait, there are two different types? <laughs> Again, I'm like, breast cancer awareness does not make us aware. So I was like, yeah, I know. oh. I'm like, I'm learning so much about it. Right? And so when I went in, um, like, I already knew it was a mass. I mean, it was just so huge and just so tight that it couldn't be a lump. And plus it was on this, you know, underneath my arm, like on the side. So again, I still didn't really think breast, even though I was getting a diagnostic mammogram, yeah. um, you know, like it just, I don't think I could handle it, you know, mm-hmm. thinking yeah. that way. And um, so I remember it was a, it was Friday at like four 30 when mm-hmm. um, they were done and they told me, you know, that it was a mass and I was like, well, duh. Um, <laughs> And then they were like, we need to do a biopsy. And I was like, okay. Like, I didn't think that far ahead. <laughs> I, was, I was like, okay. Uh, yeah, we'll do that. And so I had a biopsy. And I don't know if y'all like watch Grey's Anatomy. Yeah, I love that. Whatever, but my doctor. Okay. Well, my doctor's name, the one that did the biopsy, her name was Dr. Gray. And I was like, really? Oh I said, Meredith. But no. <laughs> It wasn't, but she was like, Badly. she goes, I never should have um, taken my husband's name because that was her Mary name. <laughs> so I was like, I was like, okay, Dr. Gray. Um, but when she did the biopsy, to this day, I have a hard time when I hear like a, a stapler or a staple gun, because that's what it sounded like when she was pulling the tissue out uh-huh. for the biopsy. And though I didn't feel it because they numb you up. Um, and the nurse was there and I'm squeezing the nurse's hand and she's like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah. I said, it's just that sound. Cause it would just echo oh in the room. God. And, um, but I knew she saw something because she told me she was only taking about like eight to 10 tissue samples and she took almost 20 and I was oh. like, okay, she sees something. Um, 
And then I got the cancer call. And so that was Friday at 4.30, right? On Monday, that Monday at 3.05 p.m. And the reason why I know the exact time is because I used to work in radio. Mm -hmm. And when you hear commercials on the air, they have to be a certain length. So I'm always aware of time. Mm -hmm. And so I saw my phone and I was like, I don't know this number. I don't know if I'm going to answer it. And then my gut was like, you better answer it. <laughs> and it was the, it was the doctor and it was Dr. Gray. And she's like, okay, you have invasive lobular breast cancer. And I was like, wait. <laughs> so I like ran down the hall to a um, empty conference room. And I was like, okay, what? And then as she was talking to me, I started to get hysterical. Like I just uh-huh. went, <gasps> and then she was like, she brought me down though. Cause she goes, Megan Clear, I need you to get a pen and paper because I need you to take down some very important information. And like, she just said it so like, bam, it just brought me back to reality. I was like, uh, okay. So apparently she had already talked to my primary doctor. I had a list of oncologists, a list of plastic surgeons and a list of breast cancer surgeons. And I didn't even understand why I needed to see a plastic surgeon yet. You know, like oh, yeah. I couldn't even process. And then I was like, what is invasive lobular? <laughs> like, I literally thought all you ever hear is breast cancer. Like, mm-hmm. you never hear about types. Yeah, so I, I always know. thought it was just breast cancer. Yeah. Um, but by the, at that point, everything moved super duper fast. Mm-hmm. Like, that Monday I get diagnosed <laughs> with cancer. I'm meeting my, um, what? I'm meeting my uncle, no, my plastic surgeon on a Wednesday. And then I met with the oncologist and then plastic, um, breast cancer surgeon on a Friday. Like everything was just happening very fast. Back to back to back to back. Yeah. I mean, it was insane. In between, did you talk to anyone? Who was the first person you told about your breast cancer and how, how did they react? It was, you know, it was my mother and, you know, she took it pretty hard because even though um, I don't carry the BRCA gene, um, she knows that it somehow mutated because I was supposed to get a variant that it mutated into breast. So she felt very responsible and she already kind of knew what was going to lie ahead for me and how horrible it's going to be for her to see her child. Be so sick and could possibly die. Mm-hmm. So it was it was emotional. Mm-hmm. Did that help you want to fight more? How did you find courage to fight this disease during your treatment? You know, I think for a lot of us um, in in cancer land, that's what I call it, is when it happens to you, like you just automatically just go into fight or flight mode. You're, you're just like, I just got to get through the next thing because it is so many doctor appointments and like you have to have a lot of different tests um, and stuff before you can even get chemo to make sure that your heart can handle the chemo to make sure, I mean, like all of this stuff. And I'm like, wait a minute, what? Um, So it, I guess I was just trying to just get through the next thing. I never really thought too far ahead. I was just like, let me just get through this next appointment or this next you know, chemo treatment. Um, but it was very difficult. Mm-hmm. 
I know cancer is horrible itself, but what do you think the absolutely the worst part of cancer was? <sighs> there were so probably many a parts. Lot. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, honestly, it was the fear of my body. It betrayed me, you know, mm-hmm. like when you get a cancer, like you, you really can't help but feel so betrayed mm-hmm. by your body because before that point, you know, I was fit, I was doing this, that, and the other thing. And, and then all of a sudden my whole body changed and I, and I couldn't control mm-hmm. what was happening. And, and I think the hardest part for me was that first day of getting chemo. And I walked in that infusion room and I just burst into tears because that's when it got real. You know, I was like, oh my gosh. And my, my chemo nurse, I really respond to humor and like uh-huh. sarcasm. <laughs> so <laughs> I had like the perfect nurse because yeah. uh, she was like, oh no. She was like, there's no crying in, in the infusion room. She was <laughs> like, oh no. And so I was like, okay, she made me laugh. And I was like, all right. But she was smart and mm-hmm. she, she knew how to like diffuse the situation. Um, but it was, that was the toughest part. I think for me is just my body just totally betraying me and to never feel like I can trust it again. Yeah. How does that affect you nowadays? Cause you had this past experience of like not being able to trust your body. Does that affect how you live today with like the pandemic and everything? I don't know. Oh, absolutely. Because For me, with the chemo, I had three different types of chemo Mm -hmm. and I had 16 rounds of chemo. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I I was like, how am I not dead? Um, (laughs) But I actually had so many side effects. And one of the side effects um, is permanent Mm -hmm. is what's called neuropathy. So the nerves in my hands and my feet like died and I could literally feel them die. It's, I, I can't even fully describe that feeling, but um, it was the Taxol chemo that did it. And I had to have 12 of those back to back. And in the first treatment of that Taxol, in the first 15 minutes, my nerves died. And my doctor, my oncologist had said, oh, this, you'll probably get some, a little neuropathy by your eighth treatment. I had to have 12 of these. Mm-hmm. And I was like, um, this first one, like what just happened? And it was so sudden that there was no way for them to prevent it. Mm-hmm. And to this day, it, it is, it feels the exact same from that moment. And I'm four and a half years out now. Mm-hmm. And I know I cannot feel my feet from the balls of my feet to my toes. And as someone who used to do ballet and musical theater, and I used to like to salsa, like I could, I could dance. And <laughs> now I can't feel my feet. I have a permanent handicap sign. Like I don't look like I should have a handicap sign. Oh. Right. And I have a cane. I have a black cane and a pink cane. Cause I do like to be color coordinated, yeah. but it's like, I still fall a lot. I fall into things. I drop things. Um, I couldn't even wear the top I wanted to today. Cause I had a button and my fingers just could not do the button today. So I was like, all right, we got to go with outfit number two. <laughs> um, but it still affects me. And the fact that I look so different, like uh-huh. I, f- I don't even look the same with this chemo curly hair because when it's blown straight, it's actually like almost a bob now, oh. but you can't tell because the curls yeah. are so tight. Um, I'm gonna get it blown straight again in November, but like 
when you don't look the same, your eyebrows, my eyebrows didn't come back the same. My lashes didn't come back the same. Like nothing came back. And now I have all of these scars that I see every day. I look in the mirror. So it's like, though those harsh treatments are done, the real healing begins like, you know, after and post. And the fact that I didn't get my quality of life back. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like I am 500 years old mm-hmm. internally. And oh. that's a horrible feeling. It's oh. a horrible, horrible feeling. Yeah. So I know you said the healing happens after treatment because you have to heal within. I know you said you dance a lot. Does that help you feel like you could return to your life back before you had cancer? Because you were, you said you were a dancer and you did a lot of musical theater. How do you like cope with this? Um, this feeling after the treatment? You know, um, it's hard to dance, but um, I actually with stupid cancer over the summer, yes, there's an organization called Stupid Cancer because um, cancer is so stupid. Um, we actually had like a virtual dance party. Uh-huh. And for a lot of us, you know, and again, we're all like young adults. And for a lot of us, it was hard to stand and dance So I was like, you know what? I'll sit in the chair and dance. (laughs) And so it's kind of like trying to still find the things that I love to do, but I have to do it in a different way. Yeah, compromise with. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. In moderation and stuff. I mean, like the fatigue, unfortunately, is still here. Um, And I'm also in chronic pain because not only (laughs) did I get the chemo-induced neuropathy um, about a year a year later, um, after I was done with everything, I got chemo-induced fibromyalgia. So I'm in pain 24-7. Oh my God, that sounds horrible. Yeah. I have another friend who also had cancer, which I she didn't even tell me about until like recently, and I was so surprised. And she was just saying like she's constantly in pain, and I just don't even understand how she's still alive. I don't know how she goes to school and walks, because she's always in pain, and I just... I'm so well. (laughs) You know, like, I mean, with your friend, I mean, I can totally relate to that because you, you just, you, you just have to keep going, you know, Mm -hmm. like you, you have to do the things that you need to do. And unfortunately it's learning to live with chronic pain. Um, and the medications I'm on, they don't really work. Um, I seem to be really sensitive now to side effects ever since chemo. And I I was never that way uh, pre-cancer. So it's frustrating. I don't sleep well. Um, I mean, it's just, it's taken over like my whole life uh, in a sense, but I just somehow keep pushing because I'm getting to meet like awesome people like you, Vivian, and, (laughs) and, and other people, you know, and doing things I never thought I could do. And I was like, you know what, if I have to go through all of this um, so I can write about it, maybe it helps someone else to Mm. cope a little better. Yeah, I'm sure it does. It definitely does. You said how you have to keep going on your life, even if you're like in so much pain. So do you think the pandemic, because everyone's life kind of went on pause in certain aspects, do you think the pandemic helped you with taking a step back and being able to stop with like the constant repetition of life? You know, um, you're right about that pause. Um, that's like the the, the word um, mm-hmm. in this pandemic, pause and pivot. Mm-hmm. And so um, what I 
what I was happy about was not having to constantly get up, get dressed, go to work, all of that extra walking and stress, right? Now I can work from home and it's easier for me because it takes me so long um, to get ready (laughs) in the morning. So I'd have to get up so early uh, because I have to, you know, I, I think in like the spoon theory, how many spoons of energy do I have that I can spend today? Mm-hmm. And so in a way it was nice to have that forced pause. Um, so I can kind of rest a little bit, even though I don't necessarily sleep, at least my body can kind of feel like it's resting. Mm-hmm. And so it's helpful, but it's also very scary for every cancer patient, mm-hmm. like everyone, because, uh, I'm always using the hand sanitizer. I mean, I was already like wearing a mask, you know, like when I was during chemo, I always had a mask on Mm -hmm. um, because I live by myself. And so um, just always being ultra careful. And so in a way, I'm glad, not that I'm glad we have this pandemic, but (laughs) I'm glad it's opening a a window for people to see what cancer patients deal with and, and those in chronic pain deal with because this is our normal of being scared to be around people, being scared to be in the crowd, having someone being too close behind you and not knowing if, if you know, what they're carrying and what their germs are. Yeah. Um, we're hyper, we have to be hyper vigilant and protecting ourselves. And then, then add a pandemic, you know, <laughs> my gosh. We to stay home, I guess, most of the time. Right? Yeah, it's like you live, but you don't want to stay in that bubble. Like sometimes I'm like, I just want to go out Um, because I like being around people. And so that's been hard. But with this, I've been able to Zoom more with friends and like take my friendships to like an even deeper level because now we have more time to do that. What is one thing you wish other people knew about breast cancer? Because I read your site and you're like, people are like just breast cancer and that's not really what it is. And you're talking about how oftentimes the media kind of glorifies breast cancer, which is why other cancers like hate breast cancer. That was that, I thought that was kind of funny, but yeah, if you, if you could tell people about breast cancer, what would you tell them? You know, breast cancer can kill you. You can die of breast cancer. Um, There are like 15 different types of breast cancer and subtypes. And so, you know, you're scarred for life. And that's something I couldn't really handle at the time is I look like a railroad track. My chest looks like a railroad track. And when I think of other women, and it also happens in men, it's rare, but breast cancer can happen in men. I did not know that. Right. And, and, and also like that it can come back even if you have a double mastectomy, that means removing the breast Mm -hmm. completely. It can come back like in your chest walls. It can um, become what's called metastatic and it can come in your lungs. Like it doesn't matter if you remove them or not, you're still at risk. And because I was diagnosed at a younger age, I have a 30% chance of a recurrence or becoming uh, metastatic. Uh And so- I just really want people to know that it's not about the pink. It's not about tutus and races and stuff like that. 
it is literally about surviving because breast cancer is painful. You can die. It changes your life forever. It changes your body forever. Mm -hmm. And I just want people to, to recognize that and see that there is a lot of pain and grief that comes with a a, a breast cancer diagnosis Mm -hmm. um, because it's not pretty. And also it's not just for older people, young people are getting it. And so everyone needs to really be aware of how their breasts feel, how their body feels. And, you know, like what I was telling you earlier, all those weird symptoms I had, that's not what's written on, you know, some of the cancer sites as Mm -hmm. symptoms. So you don't know what your body could be telling you. And so if you feel something or you are getting a bruise or something is just not right, like trust your gut and, you know, go to your parents, say you need to see the doctor or talk to whoever, you know, like I I kept, I had my mother and I was like, something's not right. It just don't feel right. And um, I just want people to know that it's, it's hard. It's hard. And I still have friends that are dying mm. from breast cancer yeah. and that's not okay. Yeah. They're giving a lot of awareness for breast cancer, but do you think they might not be giving like the right aspect of awareness? Like they're, they're just like breast cancer, but they're not really telling us to go check up on yourselves and like what ha- really happens in breast cancer. Vivian, you hit the nail on the head. (laughs) Like that, like I real, you know, once I got the breast cancer diagnosis, I mean, I was like, okay, there was no real awareness then because Mm -hmm. I didn't know anything when I got in there. And, and I was like, wait, you know, there's a preventative mammogram, then there's a diagnostic mammogram. I didn't know about the 15 different types. I didn't know the type of breast cancer I have only 10% of women get. Uh You know, I was like, wait, what? Like all of these things I didn't know. And it makes me upset that women and men are not properly being informed Mm -hmm. about the reality of breast cancer and how, I mean, yes, there is some beauty to come from it because I've made like amazing friendships, amazing connections like this. And, you know, so it's like that I carry with me. And that's kind of what keeps me going forward. But the fact that I didn't know any of this uh-huh. and, and that you can actually die from it and that it's not easy because that's what the media makes it look out look yeah. like to be, it that really it's does. easy and it's not. Yeah. It's, it's just like, whenever I see like a breast cancer ad, it's all just like happy, smiling, recovered, but like they don't even cover the the trauma that goes on after um, the recovery. And I love that you're talking about this with me because I think it's really important for people to know it still happens after the treatment. Yeah, I, I'm thrilled that you even like want to know that because that that's literally been like my mission in a sense, because I, I was just so angry. Like there are a lot of emotions that come yeah. with when you get a breast cancer diagnosis. And of course, not everyone's, you know, journey is the same because every body is different. And, you know, so like, you never know what, what, what you're going to get, but it's like, there is trauma. There's anger. Like you, you have to work through so many emotions um, when you get 
a breast cancer diagnosis because it's you're losing parts of your body mm-hmm. you know and i think that's what what's not shown and it's not shown too that younger women can get it like i never see a pamphlet with like young women on yeah. it um and also the fact that like i have dark circles under my eyes it actually changed the color of my skin uh-huh. like i actually have like a gray color now so you know, a lot of people don't realize, yeah, you have to actually change like your makeup, you know, and it turns out, are you ready for this? I am allergic to orange antibacterial soap because now all of a sudden I have these weird um, allergies and I can't handle certain toxins the way I could before. I have to use a uh, dye-free laundry detergent now. Like all of, I've had to do a lot of different things because my skin is so sensitive, uh-huh. you know, so it's like, People just, I want people to understand that the cancer experience, while some cancer patients are able to get their quality of life, you know, almost back, um, because there's always going to be a fear. Um, There are a lot of others who don't get their quality of life back. Yeah. Since it's changed your life so much, do you think in any way has it changed your life, like, positively? Yeah. Yeah. I used to never think I was a good writer Mm -hmm. and I don't know why I ever (laughs) really thought that because my, my, uh, my mother, because my parents are divorced. That's why you're only hearing Uh about my mother is she was always like, uh, hello, do you not remember in eighth grade, what your English uh, teacher said about your writing, how like great it was? I was like, oh yeah, I forgot about that. Um, (laughs) but I just, I find it funny that the thing I was most insecure about is, what I'm doing now that helps people. And I actually do it professionally too uh, in my like full-time job. But um, ultimately it's like, I've always wanted to be a speaker um, and be on stage because I wanted to be an actress. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to be a musical theater actress and all of that. And the fact that that didn't come true, but then it hit me, wait a minute, you're still performing in a way. I was like, you're writing you're making videos, you're speaking to people, you know, you're doing cool podcasts. Like I realized I'm actually doing the things that I never thought would be a possibility. Yeah. And, and now I'm doing it and because I realized too, like I can't have that fear or insecurity hold me back like it did in the past. Mm-hmm. I was like, because I don't know what's going to happen next. So I have to just go for it. And if I'm scared, that means I need to do it. Um, you know, like be brave. Um, you know, and I hate when people say, Oh, with breast cancer, Oh, you're so brave. And I'm like, no, I I was already this way before Uh cancer, but now I'm just really taking more, I would say like risks Mm -hmm. in a sense where I'm finding new talent or tapping into talent I never realized I had. And I never would have had that happen if it hadn't been for this cancer experience. So while it's like, okay, I really, I wish I could have done without the whole cancer side effects. I am happy in that I feel I'm able to help people and maybe with what I say or do might actually affect change and help another patient and their quality of life be better down the road. 
Yeah. So in a way, kind of like open new doors for opportunities. And also like it gave you insight into what happens to other people and you can help them with that. Another thing is if you could go back and tell yourself something, what would you tell your younger self? Like anytime, like before you were diagnosed or during your treatment, whatever you think. You know what I would tell myself is trust yourself. Um, I think a lot of us, uh, really, no matter what age, we all have some insecurities and we doubt ourselves. We doubt our talent. We doubt our intellect, you know. And the thing is, it's like, no, the essence of you is always there. So you got to trust that. And even if no one else can see it, you have to trust yourself and believe in yourself mm-hmm. that like I've mentioned before that you are enough because this world is hard. Yeah. No matter what age I feel, you know, like this world is hard. It is hard. And you're going to, there are a lot of negative people out there. And when I was younger, unfortunately, I've listened to a lot of that negativity, but now I'm like, you know what? I am so authentically me. And I'm like, you know what? I was always enough. I just didn't believe it back then. So now I just have to constantly tell myself, especially when I get upset or or depressed, that I am enough the way I am. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm going to contrast the past thing and ask you, what would would you hope for yourself in the future? You know, um, to keep going um, because I do get run down. um, Yeah. But I'm also making sure that I get the help that I need uh, and not being afraid to ask for that help because, you know, um, you don't want to like bother people, you know, or I don't want to bother anyone or, (laughs) you know, make anyone sad. But then I was like, no, I was like, cancer is bigger than me and what it's done to my body. I was like, that is bigger than me. I cannot handle all of that by Mm -hmm. myself. So whether that means, you know, going to therapy or uh, reaching out for support with my friends, both in cancer land and outside of cancer land, Um, you know, but it's also helped me rekindle like old friendships. Like I still talk to people from high school. Yeah. I still talk to people from high school. I talk to people from college and, and it really helped, you know, bring us back together, which is so great. And so it's like, I just want to keep moving forward and making sure that I continue to ask for help when I need it and not feel Mm. embarrassed about it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, What do you hope for like the future of breast cancer in general? Do you hope there's more awareness on younger people or like the after effects? You know, ultimately, of course, I love a cure, but I know, <laughs> yeah, because, you're working on it, which is cool, right? You know, I'm I'm hoping, <laughs> hoping there's a, a a cure or at least help keep the, the patient quality of life there. Mm-hmm. Because right now, I mean, the chemo it is poison. It is mm-hmm. poison put in your body to hopefully kill the cancer, but it almost kills you. Yeah. And why haven't we? thought of new ways or better treatment options for patients. So we don't have to completely lose what, what we used to know. And so that is my hope for um, breast cancer, but also like you mentioned, like really make 
people truly aware of the, you know, it's not even what I would call the dark side. It is called the reality of breast yeah. cancer. And that's what people need to see in order for it to stop being glamorized. Yeah. Um, you know, because at the end of the day, it can kill you. And I want to help and change laws and help find, you know, um, help give funding to people uh, for new research so others don't have to suffer physically, mentally, and emotionally the way I did and so many of my friends. And I don't want anyone else to die. Yeah. Um, I know our time is almost up here. You have to leave at 11.55. So I just want to end this interview off on a positive note. So I'm going to ask you one more question. Um, what was what was the proudest thing you've done since your treatment? Cool. It could be anything. Like, it doesn't even have to be related to breast cancer. Just the proudest thing you've done. Wow. You know what? Okay. I'll, I have a lot of proud moments, but I'll tell you the most exciting moment because um, that, that's happened because of breast cancer. So. Uh-huh. I got honored by the Atlanta Falcons football team. Now, I don't even know about football, right? (laughs) So this was um, a few years ago, and actually it was the anniversary of it today. Um, It popped up in my Facebook memories. And so I was like, man, that was such a cool day because, like, we got to meet the players. We got escorted onto the field. Mm -hmm. One of the refs gave me an NFL uh, breast cancer um, wrist band thing like because I was having so much fun I was dancing Uh and he saw me and he like ran up to me he was like I want you to have this I was like what and no one else got one I was like oh my gosh so like it was just a really proud moment and um they they captured a picture of it like Mm -hmm. one of the professional photographers and I saw it on the website and I'm literally holding a pink rose and I am just like fierce you know like walking out And I didn't even know the the football player's name. I'm like, who are you again? What? <laughs> but, um, <laughs> right. But it was just such a moment to be like, I made it. Yeah. At that is so empowering. Point. Yeah. And it had like the smoke, like all behind. I didn't even know all that was happening, by the way, until I saw the picture. And it's such like, a, I actually have it framed um, uh-huh. in my uh, home because it just reminds me of, I went through a lot to get to that moment. And it was probably one of the highlights of my whole life of just being alive and like feeling so alive. Yeah. Yeah. That sounds like such a turn, like a turning point. If we're in a movie, that'd probably be the very end where you're like <gasps> victory, you know? It totally was. It totally was. Yeah. And I mean, I got pictures with the cheerleaders. I mean, I was a nut. I was just a, a straight up nut. And it was, it was, it <laughs> was just really, be, you know? You know? <laughs> Okay, um, thank you so much for allowing me to interview you again. This was so fun. And I had so much fun talking to you because you, you had such an amazing story to share. And thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. Vivian, I'm so honored. And don't let this be the last, you know, keep in yeah. touch with me. And I, uh, you know, keep up with the site and stuff. So um, my, my thing is for teens and um, just everyone is believe in yourself, trust yeah. your talent. And you're always going to have naysayers, but again, you are enough and just trust yourself and go with that.
and they're your bodies. Yeah, your story really shows like your your opinion really matters because you know you thought about like you you there's something going on with my body and the doctor's like now nah, you're fine, but then you have to trust your instincts and believe that your voice matters. And I really like that your story shines a light on that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, um, thank you so much again. I appreciate you taking the time and I hope you have a nice day. Thank you, Vivian. I really appreciate it. If you guys are listening and you're interested in sharing your stories as well, please email us at neonarrators at gmail.com or check out our website for a submission form. You can also reach us through our Instagram. Just DM us. Thank you guys so much for listening and I can't wait to see you guys in the next episode. Thank you.